Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a Christmas Eve-ish edition. Uh, we uh, we have a very weird publishing schedule this week, and, and for that, I sort of apologize and sort of don't. Uh, we had a couple episodes on Sunday. You had your post-game reaction, then you had your post-playoff reaction, and now we've got this lovely show in the middle of the week. We're going to take Christmas Day off. Uh, I'm going to spend that with my family. Uh, Ari Wasserman will be in Vegas getting his chakras aligned. Uh, that's what you're doing, right, in Vegas, Ari? Or is uh, that what you're doing in Sedona? Sedona is uh, chakras aligned, and uh, we got to go find somebody to like uh, put crystals on us and find the vortexes. I'm spending a few days in Sedona with my girlfriend, and uh, we're going to do some natural healing things. So instead of nobody's going to eat sushi off you, right? We're not going to have to have any quarterbacks apologizing for that later. No, no, not that I'm aware of, but Lord knows where we climbed a mountain yesterday, and there were some psychopaths doing some tribal dances up in the up in the mountain, and I just like <laughs> was like, <laughs> this is why I don't do hiking. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I don't want to be around other hikers. Yeah. Yeah, but you gotta. It's uh, life's not about doing what you love. It's about doing things with who you love, and you know she likes hiking. Oh, very <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I can I can get behind that. I can I can live with that. It was a very newsy day while you were up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. By the way, Brian Harson hired away from Boise State, going to Auburn, which you know we wondered what that what that solution was going to be. The longer that got out from the firing of Gus Malzahn, and you heard all these different rumors and uh, different coaches interviewed. You had Bill Clark from UAB. You had Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette. Now, I'm not entirely sure of the narrative that those two guys turned that down if they then hired Brian Harson. Brian Harson was a guy you'd probably go after before those two guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting hire, and... You know, at first when the leading candidate was somebody who was already on Auburn staff, I was thinking to myself, like, why would you pay a 25 or $21 million buyout to hire somebody from within? And usually that happens when you're successful or when you're happy with the with the results. So, you know, going and getting a guy who has won at a very high level um, and, and as a program that has, in order to, to achieve what they had at Boise State, had to recruit and um, do very good talent evaluations and, and and close on these kids. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that I would take somebody who ran a elite level program at any level to translate into the next phase of things, because running an elite level program at a smaller group of five school is not much different than running an elite level program at the highest level, except you have more resources. I mean, obviously recruiting is more competitive. Um, there's different things to it, but I think Getting somebody who wins at a high level is a is a pretty good step, and I see there's a lot of coaches who are recycled, a lot of coaches who hadn't been successful at previous stops who get hired again, and I would I'd give somebody a crack at it. Like I, I mean I don't hate this. I think this is a good hire. I think it's a good hire too. The the question that we can't answer because we just don't know the answer because there's no sample size is 
how will Brian Harson handle recruiting in the SEC? And I think a lot of that probably depends on on what he chooses to do with his staff because you know is he gonna is he gonna hire people who have been in the SEC before? Uh, is he going to hire some of those people? Is it going to be all of those people? Is he going to keep people on, you know, from Auburn staff? Like, would he keep Rodney Garner? Would he keep Kevin Steele? Those are the questions that that I think need to be answered. And we just don't know how he's going to perform because there have been newcomers who came into the SEC and it ate them alive. You know, Dennis Francione goes to Alabama, basically runs away after a couple of years because he just couldn't handle the pressure of being the coach at Alabama couldn't handle everybody just in his business all the time. And so he goes to Texas A&M after that. But then you've also seen Urban Meyer come from Utah to Florida and win two national titles. You saw Nick Saban come from Michigan State to LSU and win a national title there. He won uh, Both those guys won the SEC in their second season. So it's possible to come from the outside and succeed. It's just a matter of do you have the, the constitution for it? And it's interesting with Brian Harson because – you know, he made news earlier this month, and it was an email he wrote in September, but uh, the Idaho Press and Boise Dev, which is a, a business magazine in Boise, they got a copy of this email that he had sent to the athletic director at the time at Boise State and the president of Boise State, where he basically said, the Mountain West doesn't really care about football. We need to get in a league that actually cares about football. Uh, when I was calling Statue Left, which is the, the Statue of Liberty play that, that beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, you know, it, was, it was about making bold moves, and I wouldn't just run the, be conservative and run the ball up the middle. And it's interesting because he was kind of making a mission statement for himself, if not his own team. He's now gotten all that he wishes. He is in the conference that cares the most about football. Wait, does the SEC care about football, Andy? I believe it just means more in the SEC. <laughs> Pretty sure. You better be careful what you wish for in life, pal. I'm just telling you. Well, that, that's the thing. It's either you got everything you wanted or, well, you asked for this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like I like the idea. I, you know, I like the idea of this. And I the, the thing I don't know, and I think the general reaction or the, or the first thing that most people thought of, um, me included, is like Chris Peterson's transition to Washington and like kind of think, yes. like, how did that go? But also, they're still in the same geographical area, Great. and and uh, Washington is not in a. I don't know if their conference cares about football either. So, um, you know, right. he did pretty well. I, he made a playoff. Who was the last Pac-12 coach to make the the playoff? Yeah, Chris because, Peterson of Washington. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you would find that Washington was as successful as Boise State was in comparison to their peers, but they made the playoff out of the Pac-12 and. You know they did a pretty good job in that in that system. So I, I think that it's it's one thing to like look at those two things and think, well, well, there's a comparison there. But also when you go coach at Auburn in the same state as Alabama, like it's not that comparable at all. So it's kind of like, yeah, good idea. Yes, it's kind of worked in the past. Um, yes, you like somebody who's got fire in his belly, like you just said in that email, and also you like the fact that you know he's been able to to recruit at a pretty high level for his level. I just don't know if he can beat Alabama. I mean, that's a completely different thing. Well, and the thing is, Gus Malzahn did beat Alabama more than anybody else. It just wasn't good enough. You know, he beat them three times in, in eight tries, which, remember, all of the other SEC coaches combined have one win against Nick Saban. One. That's Ed Orgeron If you in take 2019. in the interview process and you give um, the athletic director at Auburn, no matter who it is, the information at hand that whoever you hire – will be 3-8 and eight against Alabama in the next 11 years. 
isn't that an automatic acceptance? Like, isn't that a success? Like, cause it's like, I, I kind of view Auburn and Alabama a little bit like Ohio state and Michigan and that you have one power and you have one team that's mm-hmm. trying to compete for the power. But the only thing that's different is that Auburn has been able to be tough and actually do it a few times and Michigan hasn't. So if you were to tell the Michigan athletic director, we'll, we'll beat Ohio state three out of the next 11 tries. I think that the Michigan three, athletic three out of the next eight, that's eight, what three out of the, sorry, three out of the next eight, you got to say automatically. Yes. Right. So like, that's the only fear that I have with moving on from Malzahn because he's already proven to be able to do the thing that keeps that rivalry alive and keeps that fan base alive. And let me tell you from an up close and personal viewpoint, when you lose that, things change and things get uncomfortable very quickly. So if the next guy goes 0-5 or if Harson goes 0-4, you know, that's that's a tough proposition when you have for like just the the health of the program, because I think that the erosion of Michigan's competitiveness in the rivalry is also contributing to the fact that they're not as competitive across the board as they should be in general, because it's just not as attractive of a place to go anymore, because every single time they go against the elite team in the pro in the, in the conference, you know, kids don't want to go there as much anymore. It's all part of it. Yeah, I, I think this is one where, you know, normally you say, OK, they got to give the new coach some time. They got to be patient. They do not have to be patient at Auburn, and here's why. The last four coaches at Auburn have either gone undefeated, won the national title, or played for the national title. You have no excuses. You know you can do this there. You know it's possible. Now, they are very boom and bust. They will go from winning the national title in 2010 to 0-8 in the SEC in 2012. That sort of thing happens with Auburn. But... They want the boom, and if you don't deliver the boom, and I realize I'm not, I sound like I'm advocating for Will Muschamp here, but I'm not, they they have every right to expect it because they've gotten it over the last 25 years consistently. Every few years, they have been great. And so if you can't make them great, well, you should be shuttled off. I mean, that that's the, that's the deal. So if you're Brian Harson. You're going to feel pressure immediately, and you should, because you need to succeed immediately, because that program is set up to do it. You can get the best players in the country. You can build a roster that looks like Alabama's or Georgia's. You just have to do it. And there's nothing standing in your way other than yourself. So if you are capable of it, you will have Auburn in a position to contend. And if you're not, you won't, and they'll get rid of you and find somebody else. But that's... That's the bet that Brian Harson is making on himself right now. And hey, listen, if you're going to say that stuff in that email, this is backing it up. So I, I kind of, I feel like this might work. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's let's take just a five seconds and talk about recruiting for a minute because that I think is a very important element to this. Huge, so huge. Last year's uh, 2020 class at Boise finished number 65 nationally. And he had um, five players who ranked in the top 1,000. 
So basically, mm-hmm. when you start getting into the group of five rankings, a lot of the kids that sign with these programs, maybe not Boise because it's the premier group of five program, don't even have recruiting profiles. I, I think people have to understand it's very, very hard to analyze how a program or a staff or a coach has recruited talent out of high school because we don't know who they're getting to begin with. So the fact that Boise has been able to maintain um, a certain level of competitiveness at the highest level uh, in the last four years while recruiting a, from a group of talent that Auburn won't even sniff at. Auburn might might take two or three guys a year that are at the top two players in Boise's class every year. So you're dealing with an entirely different caliber of athlete. But the thing that I will say is, having coached in the group of five or in in a, in a larger, vast pool of three-star prospects who rate outside of the top 1,000, that should give you at least a little bit of an advantage, especially having done it successfully, in recruiting and analyzing and evaluating talent at a high level. Maybe more so than coaches at Alabama or Clemson or Georgia have to do it because they it's easier to analyze a top 100 player. Well, I would argue that the, one of the secrets to Alabama and Clemson's success is being able to get those five stars, but right. evaluating them better than everybody else who can get those five stars. And then also Clemson has done better job than any other program in the country in identifying the three-star kid that nobody wants and turning him into Isaiah Simmons. Play like done a both. Yeah. Yeah. So like Absolutely. they, but so that's what I'm saying. I think that there's a chance that this could be the case because if you're a fiery personality or somebody in that position, like Harson is to, to recruit at the highest level, you're automatically in the doors with the prospects that you never were able to get before because of the Auburn logo. But then two, if his expertise in acquiring talent and recruiting talent the way he did at Boise comes into play, and then he can go get the number 674 player in the country and turn him into Isaiah Simmons, then that gives Auburn a chance to beat Alabama. Because they're not going to go in and go toe-to-toe with Alabama, who's about to sign 13 top 100 players, and like half of those are in the top 50. Alabama's recruiting an NFL roster right now. So he's got to do something. Yeah, Alabama's massive edge over almost everybody is a five-star may call Alabama and say, hey, I want to go to school here. And the Alabama coaches may say, that's great, but we don't think you're a fit here. Whereas other schools are like, oh my gosh, you're a five-star. Come on, come on. But at Alabama, it's like, no, we... We have what we want in a cornerback and what we want in a linebacker and what we want in a personality, and you you don't meet all those criteria, so no thank you. Uh, but And that, that's what you're dealing with if you're, if you're Brian Harson at Auburn. You're dealing with a program that can choose like that, and that is really tough. But you're right. I think being able to – because what you can do now if you're Brian Harson, if you are that good of an evaluator, is you can find and, – and you always say this, Ari, and I think it's a great point. There's a massive difference between the highest ranked four star and the lowest ranked four star. And coaches see that too. And if you're Brian Harson, you're looking at those guys, and there may be a dude who you absolutely love that maybe the rest of, of the other schools of your caliber aren't necessarily onto. And you, with the Auburn logo, will be able to walk in and grab that guy with no problem. Let's say, you know, he's looking at at South Carolina and he's looking at, uh, you know, North Carolina and he's looking at, at maybe Oklahoma state or something like that. When you walk in with the Auburn logo, he's yours. If you love him and nobody else is on him, you got him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing to, to be able to do. Now, if you go look at the top 34 players in the country right now, um, those are all the five-star prospects. 
you might be able to go through their offers list and then they have all every single one of those five star prospects um, has offers from probably 25 of the same schools because you just auto offer those guys no matter what uh, because they're so good. But if you go through Alabama, they don't do that. You know, they only get the guys that are tailored for their system and go after the guys that fit their need. And to, to illustrate your point on what you just said, um, the, the top rated four star prospect in the country is rated number 35 overall. The lowest rated four-star prospect in the country is rated number 359. So we're talking about 350 spots between an elite-level four-star prospect and the number 359 four-star prospect who is um, from Allen, Texas and going to Oklahoma State. So it's like not the same caliber of athlete, and it's more more so context of stars. But the thing that's crazy is, is once you get into the three-star athlete, it's like an ocean of prospects because 350 is a lot, but there's like 2,000 three-star prospects. Right. So to be able to like go into that ocean and find who you like and know, hey, this guy's got the physical tools, this person has the personality to succeed in our program, and this person is the, the perfect fit for the way we want to run this position, and then those work out, that's the only way that the middle-tier programs in a conference can knock off the Goliath. That's the only way, and you're getting somebody now, who spent the at entire— At Auburn, you yeah. st- you still got to be able to get the five— so like, Of course, You still of need course. Derek Brown. Derek Brown still needs to sign with you. So that that's the part that I'm also curious about. But I think he's smart enough to do it. And, and I was going back to because I covered Urban Meyer when he came to Florida and you know, covered that staff being put together. He only took really one guy with extensive SEC experience. He he kept Charlie Strong from the Ron Zook staff. Almost everybody else was from somewhere else. So, you know, Stan Drayton had been at Mississippi State the year before. But that had been his only SEC experience. And then the rest of them, you know, he brought Dan Mullen and John Hevesy and Billy Gonzalez from Utah. Uh, he brought Chuck Keeter, who had, he'd worked with at, at other places. Uh, he brought Greg Madison, who he'd worked with at other places, but who had not been in the SEC. And their first full recruiting cycle was 2006, and that class was amazing. I mean, it had Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin and Brandon Spikes. and It's still one of the best classes ever made. Titles. It's one of the best recruiting classes ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know, they, they did some evaluating in that class too, because you know, that that's, it wasn't all five stars. It was, there were some guys who contributed, right? Like Brandon James, I think was a, a lower four star guy uh, from St. Augustine who wound up being a great kick returner. He played, he was a great role player on those teams. So it's, it's not a case where you have to just get the five stars. You have to get the headliners but that that class, the depth of that class is is more important or as important, and that's where I think Harson should come in with a somewhat of an advantage. Now, can he grab some assistants who can help him get the five stars too? Because you still got to get those guys. When I was doing the anonymous coaching or recruiting staffer survey before signing day, I asked every single one that I talked to what makes the best recruiting staff. And the um, best answer that I got was diversity. And I think that that's just an obvious thing to say. But, like, listen, the majority of the the athletes being um, recruited are all from different areas. You know, they're different backgrounds. They're different races. They're different religious beliefs. Yeah. They're different. Well, I, I'll give you I an mean, example on that, that 06 Florida recruiting class we were talking about. Um, the So Brandon James, by the way, was a three-star. There was a two-star in that class named Wandy Pierre-Louis, 
who was from Naples. He he'd been he, he was born in Haiti, and basically his mom had dropped he and his brother off in Naples when they were staying with relatives, and she'd gone back to Haiti and been like, nope, you're growing up in America now. And so he w- didn't have much experience with football, but he's a really good athlete, and he's a two-star that Florida Science Chuck Heater had to spend a bunch of time dealing with immigration issues to, to make sure he could enroll. But he winds up making one of the most critical plays in the SEC championship game as a true freshman. Like, you got to have those people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like diversity doesn't just mean black or white or rich or poor or whatever. You, you have to get people who one went to a private school, one didn't. One went to public school in the inner city, one didn't. And you're, you have to have somebody on your staff that can communicate and connect with no matter what type of prospect you're going after. Um, and I think that that's a very interesting dynamic when it comes to recruiting. And a lot of times, too, we get so caught up on on brand names or people who have done X, Y, and Z or who have they signed at other schools. And just like, I just really think that you need to just get a personable staff, a guy who can connect with anybody. And it's like funny, even like last year, um, I, I was going to write this story and I still haven't written it yet, but... Ohio State signed two quarterbacks um, in the same class, both of which were were four-star prospects, high-end prospects. One came from um, the inner city of Los Angeles, who who is named C.J. Stroud, and you'll probably hear of him. And one came from oh, yeah. Scottsdale, Arizona, and he worked and lit. I mean, he lived on uh, the Princess Resort where the football teams stay because his dad runs the hotel. And it's just like when you think about the two people who are coming in. You've got one player who has come from a very um, wealthy, comfortable background, and you have another kid whose father was incarcerated and was exposed to gang violence, and these two are competing head-to-head for the spot to be Ohio State's quarterback of the future. And it's just like maybe the same person recruited those guys, but also if you have a staff that can talk to both of them because they're not the same people. Now they're friends and they get along and they're, they have a healthy competition, but like it just blows my mind sometimes. And I don't think people appreciate how diverse a, a, a roster can be on a college football team. One kid's from the country, one kid's from Beverly Hills. There's, there's completely different dynamics and viewpoints of the way that these rosters are built. And, and you need to have a staff that can connect with those people. We got to pay a few bills, but when we come, back Ari and I talk about a salty salty sugar bowl we've got some salty coaching going on we, we have some some coaches throwing daggers at one another and I am here for it we don't get this very often where coaches at elite schools are just furious with one another so the coaches poll ballots came out earlier this week and we found out that Dabo Sweeney voted Ohio State number 11 on his ballot. So needless to say, that probably didn't go over well in Columbus. And then Dabo also saying that, you know, I, I don't have much film to watch. They've only played six games. So, you know, this will be easier for me. Uh, Kevin Wilson, Oklahoma, or uh, I, I still got him at Oklahoma, Ohio State's offensive coordinator, just tweeted at Clemson football earlier on Wednesday. No doubt about it, Clemson football. Yesterday, Angie, his, his wife, and I shared our 20th, 25th anniversary. Unfortunately, I was stuck in the office burning the midnight oil studying Citadel game tape. Missed out on a great night with my lovely bride, but got some great triple option plays. <laughs> this is going to be a great game. This Sugar Bowl is going to be amazing because they hate each other. Yeah, I mean, I I think that college football should be like this always. 
I mean, the whole idea of talking garbage and getting mad this at each other. This is WWE stuff. Yeah, no, I, but like everybody is so buttoned up all the time. And every single time a coach addresses the media about who they're going to play next week, that coach treats them like they're playing the New England Patriots. They've got the greatest team I've ever seen. They're they're so effective. And it's like sometimes you're just playing a crappy team and you can say it. You know, not everything has always got to be so complimentary of one another. You know what? If Dabo Sweeney feels um, the same or very strongly that Ohio State doesn't deserve to be in the college football playoff or he do, he doesn't think that, um, then let it fly. Talk about it. I love that. That's what you should do. You, you've beaten Ohio State every time you've played them. You've won multiple national championships, and you've come pretty close to overtaking Alabama as the premier program in the sport. You can say whatever the heck you want. Now, I said this exactly. to Bill Landis on the podcast that I did about Ohio State with him. I think this could also be the beginning of a shift and a personality shift for Ryan Day. Like, if Ryan Day can win this football game somehow, like, you might continue to, to see more and more of his personality because he he still views himself, I think, at, at sometimes as a new guy on the block that has to prove himself. So when you have a team that has literally owned Ohio State in every aspect of the word in Clemson, they, they beat them multiple times. Everybody knows the 31-0 Their, their left playoff. tackle is from Ohio. Left they took them right out from under their nose. The only team that's been able to do that um, and Clemson, uh, if you remember the recruitment, and I wrote the story then, and it went crazy, but uh, Cl- Jackson Carmen, who's from Cincinnati, said the day he committed to Ohio State that Dabo Sweeney told him that Urban Meyer was at the tail end of his career, and that like played a factor in it, and then the entire world exploded, and it turned out to be right. Yeah, I would say, Dabo, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't wrong. He was wrong when he said it. Um, he didn't forecast what was going to happen as a result of it, but... Uh, at the time, I think Urban was in his early 50s, so it was kind of like a funny thing to say. But Dabo's kind of just been like this – he's been giving his opinion about everything, and I think we've probably gotten a little bit more opinion than we need from him. But as we're going into this game, this is what makes it exciting. It's going to be an awesome game against two opponents that don't like each other. And, and Dabo is the clear winner in this rivalry. And Ryan Day, who's the second-year head coach – um, who's only lost one game in his career so far, and that's that's to Clemson. To Clemson. He has an, has an opportunity to potentially, you know, make his name as, as somebody who's legit top five coach in America. And not to mention that they've gone after the same group of five or six kids in the recruiting realm constantly. Ohio State flipped a kid from Clemson. Clemson's flipped kids from Ohio State. They're in on the same types of guys, and it's just like these two teams are butting heads constantly. And for the most part, Clemson's winning. If, if you're Ryan Day, do you have them wear, like, T-shirts that say number 11 underneath, and if you win the game, they just strip off their pads and it all just everybody says number 11? Yeah, well, they've got nothing to lose because the number 11 team has no business winning a playoff game. But, you know, I, I still don't understand the point of him behaving that way. I mean, at that point, it had already been decided. I just think he's, he's just trying to make this point that they don't belong. And it's like, I don't know how that's advantageous well, for he, your own he team. He can make that point. I mean, he can make that point with his team's play. If, if they if they beat them the way they beat them in the Fiesta Bowl, not last year, but the, the previous time they met in the Fiesta Bowl, then Dabo's point will be made. But I'm actually I, I, I am for this because I, I've talked about this a few times. You know, Dabo Sweeney's transition from underdog Oshucks to Darth Vader alongside Nick Saban. And, you know, it seems like it's been hard for him because he doesn't he's not used to being in that role. You know, it's 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 still a relatively new role for him, but I think now he might be embracing it a little bit, and I'm okay with that. If he wants to make the heel, if he's going to say y'all are going to treat me like Darth Vader, I'm going to be Darth Vader. I'm good with that. Yeah, that's entertaining to me. 
You know what? I also do believe that if you win national championships and you assemble one of the best programs in America, that you deserve to behave any way you want to behave. And the thing that I, I think is an important thing to, to mention is that everything that comes out of the man's mouth is supposed to be self-serving for his program because that's part of a job, the job of a head Correct. coach. Every it's, job in America should be It is literally his job. Yeah. Yes. So I think when he first made the comment – uh, about Ohio State and how he wouldn't put them in. A, I think he was setting himself up for the potential for Clemson to still get in if they lost a second time to Notre Dame, or to put it in the back of committee uh, um, a committee members' minds whether it would work or not. That maybe Ohio State's not the pick there because I think he knows in his heart that of all the three teams that they could have put in that position, Ohio State, Texas A and M, you know, at that point, um, or or Notre Dame. I, I think that he probably doesn't want to play Ohio State out of those three teams. So everything that he says is for a self serving. Um, a self-serving purpose. And you know what? It's funny that he feels so strongly about this 6-0 and thing because I guarantee you, and I bet my life on it, that if Clemson were 6-0 and and had COVID issues, I don't think he'd say, you know what, guys? We're going to skip the playoff this year. We don't deserve to go. <laughs> exactly. That's not the way All it would work. All politics just, are local. Yeah, everything everything is always um, – the opinions are formed based on what which side of the – the coin your your situation's on. And, you know, I respect it. I understand. And I also think, too, that if you were a head coach who's gone through a grueling season and has played 10 games, has lost to Notre Dame without your quarterback, and, you know, all the things that you think that you you should have that opinion, you know. And I think that that's a good debate to have, whether or not you disagree with it or not. Some people agree with that and some people don't. But, you know, I don't know that I would get so fired up about it. I just think that it's just funny that people react to it so much. It's well, just the I, way it I is. I think it's great. And I, I, I think – the people involved are enjoying this quite a bit. Like we take this very seriously, but it is a game and it's supposed to be fun. And I think Dabo Sweeney's having fun with this. And I think Kevin Wilson's having fun with this. Now there's also millions of dollars on the line for, for these coaches and their jobs. There's you know, a lot of prestige on the line, but if they can have some fun doing this, I have no problem. See, I'm not one of those people who is anti trash talk. Like, I think every cornerback should talk trash. I, I worry about a cornerback who doesn't talk trash. I think there might be something wrong with him. I'm, but I'm pro-public trash talk. Yeah. Public. Yeah. Like, I want promo. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I honestly have thought during times of my career, like, if I were on the other side of the interview, like, if I were uh, weren't the person with the recorder and I was the athlete, and these people and these reporters asked the types of questions that we asked, how I would re- respond, I would be a quote machine. I'd be spitting out newspapers out of my mouth. I mean, like I would be. I, I would – and I would – and it's not offensive. It's just like, so how uh, ready like – how many headlines do you see in, in newspapers? So-and-so team ready for challenge. It's like, no crap. Who is, Who thinks they're not ready for a challenge? Like, let's get some interesting stuff and, and 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 let it fly. And I swear to you, I would let it fly. So what do you guys think of I, uh, of Oregon this or Oregon State this week or whatever program you're playing? Well, um, we're much better than them, and we're going to run for 350 yards probably because we watch tape and they're not very good. Like, what – isn't that so <laughs> See, much more key, interesting key, and real than than the alternative of, well, they're uh, Division One players too, and they have scholarships also, and we know that if we don't respect them, we could – No! Let it fly. The key to that is when Oregon State holds you to 85 rushing yards and beats you, you have to be willing to say, yeah, they got me this time. Isn't that what happens after every fight, every boxing match, everything? Yes, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to be confident and talk. It builds drama. And at the end of the day, if you lose, then you can respectfully lose and say, you know what? That guy kicked my ass today. And that's it. Move on. 
Like, it's not like you like have to like sign your contract where if you lose, your social security number gets posted on the internet. Like, you know, you can talk trash. You can guarantee victory. You can you can say your opponent stinks. And if you know what? He beats you, then you can know what? You can get up in front of a microphone and say, hey, I stunk I, I today. Was impre- I was impressed by us. We didn't run with last week because there were a couple Florida players who said something to the tune of when we win with re- regard to the SEC championship game. And everybody didn't freak out. Oh, he's guaranteeing victory. You should say you think you're going to win. It's yeah, okay. Who thinks that they're not going to win? What's the point of going to practice and banging your head against the wall and lifting weights and going to training sessions and eating a certain way and, and training your to, to think you're going to lose? I don't know. Like Link, Lane Kiffin said something last year that blew my that blew me away. And I don't know. When, it was still at FAU at the time, but when they went to go play Ohio State, he said, "You know what? This game is like." Uh, Going and playing a team at recess, except the other team gets the first 85 picks. And I thought, <laughs> like, that was real. You know, that's how it's he true. actually felt. I don't know that he wanted to play the game, but I thought to myself, is this the first time in in college football history that a coach has basically said, we've got no chance to win this game going into a game? And it's like, I think that's okay, too, to be real. Just be honest about what you think. We we are reporters. We are, are We consume the sport. We read articles. We publish articles. To, to consume the truth. And 85% of the things that come out of college football coaches' mouths is all uh, PC bullcrap. And, you know, I never tried, tried to I tried to not write any of it because it doesn't mean anything. But what's the reason? Why are we so afraid to offend the opponent? Yes, offend the opponent. Shove people <laughs> on the field. Talk crap. I Get in their I, face. I, I am, you don't, well, don't shove people after the play's over and all that. That's it. <laughs> Well, maybe you have I, I don't know, but everybody watch it. This is the thing I don't understand about it, Andy. But yes, every, if you're if you're a corner, I want you chirping at the receiver all the time. Everybody if you're watches a the tackle. Document. I want you trash talking the center. I want you talking about the center's girlfriend while he's trying to snap the ball. That's okay. It's fun. And if the center knocks you in the dirt because you said the wrong thing, that's all part of the game. Everybody watches the documentary, The You from ESPN, and goes, God, those were the days. They watch the way that those guys behave but and they during, crave but and they During those for days, everybody's like, they're awful. No, I Did know. You see, he ran into the tunnel after a touchdown. What a horrible example for the children. And why are we penalizing it? If somebody wants to, 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 to river dance into the stadium or to turn around and, and, and stick their tongue out of the guy, do it. It's a game. And the other thing, too. Is that like it's like funny because this is the perfect example. I was covering the Ohio State Michigan game like five or six years ago. All the years run together now. But Marcus Hall walked out of the game and flipped the bird and walk as he walked into the tunnel. Right? Oh, I remember. Do you that. remember that? At the time, everybody, including Ohio State, was so appalled. Oh my God! I cannot believe he behaved that way. Oh no! Uh, how could you possibly flip people off in the opposing stadium? Or how could you possibly carry yourself as a student athlete? And guess what? The next year, Ohio State put it in its promo video for the game. It's now going to be on T-shirts. It's glorified as a part of the rivalry. You know what? I freaking see. Love I just it. my only issue with that is a lack of creativity. I feel like you can yeah. do something that isn't necessarily yeah. as obvious and have some fun like what what kevin wilson did that tweet to Dabo sweeney was tremendous and let's say it's close in the fourth quarter and let's say ohio state God. runs like a speed option to win the game like a, a justin fields pitch to trey sermon to win the game 
How amazing would that be when you could go back to that tweet and say, maybe Clemson shouldn't have played the Citadel? Yeah, I mean, I would, like if I were a coach, you know, and the pr- part of it is too is that you have to be afraid of pre-planning arrogance because you don't want to like go into the game. I guess I mean you want to be as locked in as and respectful of your opponent as possible. But like I would have a number eleven T-shirt hanging in the locker room for every single person to wear if they win. Like I would throw that stuff back in his face, and it would be hilarious, you know. And if if Clemson wins, and he can say, "Listen, maybe if we would have played a team that had a full schedule, they would have been more equipped to compete." Like everybody can say, "Absolutely, what they want to say." That Davos should have something we... locked and loaded. Yeah, if they beat them thirty-one to nothing, like they did that one time, lock and load and let it fly. Yeah, yeah. I I don't understand why everything is so buttoned up. And why everybody has to be so respectful of their opponent. It's it's a game. It's a very physical game. There's a lot of emotion involved. And a lot of times, you know, fans grow to hate the other team. And and you know, that's what makes the sport great. But so the, the thing it. is, and you can tell you can tell when the teams actually respect each other by the way they treat each other after the game. If they hug, even if they said the, the most awful things and did the most awful things to each other during the game, you see that they respect one another. If there's a brawl after the game, that's well. They don't, yeah. but usually it is handshakes and hugs, and that was awesome. And I think that's what we love about competition, but we also love the the run-up. Yeah, and we love the drama. There's nothing wrong with a little WWE promo before the game. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. And, you know, it's like just such an interesting year, too, but I think that the, the lowest thing that you can do I guess, is question whether or not the other team even belongs on the same field as you, and that's what Clemson has done. And Clemson now is oh, yeah. a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, so, it, like, everybody, even if you were to, like, read the Ohio State questions from the podcast that we did the other day, is very inherently negative about Ohio State's ability to even compete in this game. And I don't know if any of that is rubbed off on people, but I think it's like nobody thinks that – I've been looking at picks. Nobody thinks Ohio State can beat Clemson. And it's just like I know how that team is assembled – and they are really freaking good. And if they play really well, they no, absolutely noted can. plucky underdog Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, plucky underdog. You're gonna lay two scores against that team. All right, go ahead and do that. Um, I think I I would expect it to be a tremendous game. And you know, right now, if I had to pick, I think Clemson's gonna win. I mean, they're they're probably the better team right now. But this is awesome. It's the most anticipated bowl game of the year because of I what's going on. I cannot wait. I you're can't going wait. I know. I'm very excited about this. Ari, it has been a pleasure. We are going to enjoy a few days off. I hope everybody else enjoys their time off, and I hope everybody gets to to see their family as much as humanly possible. And, and if you're not able to see them in person, FaceTime them. Get on a podcast with them. Ari is, is my favorite part of the Andy Staple Show podcast family. And he he's on vacation right now. He doesn't have to be doing this. He's he is getting his chakras aligned. What does that someone's mean? Someone's eating sushi off of him later. We have to like go. Honestly, we went to, we climbed up a mountain and and I hit a vortex last night. And now we're going to get some deep tissue massage. Well, I'm looking forward to the massage. But then we're doing like crystals and like smoke and like salt baths and all this like healing Sedona Northern Arizona hippie stuff. And like I don't know if I belong in there, but you know what? I'm here for it, man. And. Uh, part of the, the day of healing and spiritual healing and being out is also talking to you. So I appreciate you having me on. I am going to eat chili, as is our Christmas Eve tradition, and fart my way through <laughs> the assembling of, uh, of, of gifts and, and toys that should be laid out uh, for when the little ones wake up at four in the morning 
and we force them to go back to bed until at least six. So it's going to be a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And we will talk to you again on Sunday.